why do we try to create machines that are as intelligent as humans? You know, maybe there's a different intelligence that is worth exploring. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines and the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate your time with us. We are Supra and Uli, moderators of today's session. And our today's awesome mind is Jennifer Hayek. She is the head of UX-driven AI at Siemens Digital Industries and loves to combine human desirability, business viability and technological feasibility. What? What is that all about? We are super stoked to talk to you, Jenny, and get a bit of a glimpse of your view on, you know, what what means being human in, in the age of AI. But you know what? Let's dive right into that. Jenny, thanks for taking some time with us. How are you and where do we catch you today? Hey, Uli and Supra. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm actually doing pretty good. Thank you. I hope you guys too. And I'm at home with a newborn baby at the moment. So that is quite an analog challenge, actually. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and on, the, on this happy note, let's have a quick check-in. This is a more of rapid fire. Right? I'll give you two options. You choose whatever is best for you. Mm -hmm. Coffee or tea? Uh, that's an easy one. I go for coffee. Uh -huh. Alps or beach? That one is more difficult, so I think I would go to the Alps first and then to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Smart option, I should say. <laughs> Are you a cat person or a dog person? Uh, absolutely dog person. Oh, I'm with you there. I'm one too. <laughs> um, artificial intelligence or human? That is also a tough one. Uh, so at the moment, I would say I'm more interested in AI and the human side. So yeah, also maybe interested in AI a lot, but with a human touch. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, Jenny, I, I've known and admire you actually, you know, not only for your passion, I guess, for innovation and your expertise, you know, in the industrial design space, but uh, actually also for your inclusive laughter, right? Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> But maybe for the folks out there who don't know that a bit longer, right? Can you maybe, you know, share a couple of thoughts in a couple of minutes? Who are you and how do you end up at a place like Siemens? Yeah, sure, Uli. So as you already mentioned, I'm an industrial designer at heart. And I'm also specialized in user and customer research. And I studied in Darmstadt, where I did my diploma. Also in San Francisco, where I did my bachelor. And also in Edinburgh, uh, where I did my master. And uh, I love to work in a diverse and cross-disciplinary team close to new technology topics and contributing my passion for human-centric innovation and always continuously questioning the status quo. I also worked as a designer in Zurich, Eindhoven, London, and I also co-founded a startup called Mr. Beam. And actually, I ended up in Munich in 2016 working for Siemens CT but changed role and division in 2018, so two years ago. And uh, as you already mentioned, I'm currently working at Siemens Digital Industries in the data lab as head of UX-driven AI, and I hope to bring the human factor into the B2B context. 
And besides that, I'm also interested in teaching and research. So I taught design innovation at the University of St. Gallen. And I'm currently doing my PhD at the Bauhaus University in Weimar. So the topic is around investigating how the creative community should and could positively influence the AI development. And I really believe in the power of my profession as a designer to contribute and add value to the challenges as well as opportunities of the digital age. Wow. Boom. What a rich. You had some, some journey to be the head of UX-driven AI at Simon There you go. Jenny, you mentioned, um, you know, you've already been working with or you already worked with a lot of teams, advising them uh, in applying human-centered innovation and industrial design thinking. How do you see the difference between that from corporate to the business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, there is a difference. So at CT, my role, I've been a consultant pretty much, and I worked in a lot of different divisions. So that was very interesting, and I gained a lot of inside there and I also learned a lot but I would say more on the surface and in that way I was helping my teams because I had a really broad overview and I could bring in you know insights from one division and where we solved the problem I could bring that in uh, into a new context um, and and that was very good for the teams whereas now in the digital industries I'm I'm working more as a team member in in the project and digging really deep into the topics and issues. So, you know, that is great too. And I would say that both roles I really liked and I um, can add value in different ways. Uh-huh. And if we roll back a few years from now, you have pursued your master's in the UK on the topic of air quality awareness uh, among citizens in Munich, Oslo, San Francisco. I also learned the project in San Francisco was sponsored by Intel IoT Lab, London, right? What do you see is the role of human awareness in the IoT space in this topic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Supra, I think this is actually a very important question because as we conducted uh, our research in those three cities, we first of all realized that, you know, air quality is a very abstract topic for the citizens. They couldn't see the bad air The only thing they could see was the fine dust from the cars. But, you know, for them, that was not enough to really grasp the whole topic. So therefore, they didn't care so much and they haven't been informed very well. So this is actually very similar to the current AI development, I would say. So our first challenge was to figure out a way to make the citizens aware. So we had to make something invisible, air, visible. So we took some balloons, actually, and filled them with gas in order to start a conversation with the citizens, you know, to, to kind of give them some visualization of air that we could start the whole conversation. And that was actually the precondition we needed to all the rest that followed in that project. So I think, yeah, awareness is very important and sometimes it's not given, not only in IoT or, you know, not only in those topics and then it's really helpful to find a way to make this more tangible for the citizens and for the people who are not experts and who are not involved normally in those uh, issues. Undoubtedly, with all the new developments in the world, air qualities and the awareness about us, most important, I guess. Mm -hmm. And 
you mentioned about mr beam earlier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's a successful uh, successful relationship with that i heard so what is what is that all about yeah so mr beam that that was actually a, f- a really interesting episode in my life so when we started that project 3d printers started to enter people's homes yeah so this is a couple of of years ago and we had one too and since i'm a designer i know how to use cut modeling software and therefore we could really make use of this printer you know others make cookie cutters all the time <laughs> and we realized that for others there's still a barrier to use those maker hardware due to the lack of uh, their software skills and actually we thought what would also be handy would be to to own a low budget laser cutter that this would be really cool actually and then we started to experiment with laser diodes from dvd burners so we took old dvd burners and and cut out the diodes and used them for laser cutting and that was actually to our surprise quite successful and what we also did we also programmed a web interface for the the graphics you laser cut so no extra software skills were needed to really use this laser cutter it was like uploading a photo and then the software transformed the pixels into vector graphics and then you were ready to go pretty much and we showed this to friends and they all said oh i want one too <laughs> and we realized that there might be really a scene and and a market for those machines and then we went on kickstarter Uh, and that was when everything went completely crazy actually i think we wanted 80000 at that time and we got 250000 so yeah today uh, mr beam is a little company that is employing 12 people i'm not involved anymore i never wanted to run a company i'm more the person that is passionate about the idea and see how far you can go from there and then you know when things get serious and you have to deal with german laws and regulations <laughs> i decided to yeah okay so this baby you know they are far enough and they can stand on their own feet yeah so that was the how, story behind how cool is that actually <laughs> isn't it that's somehow the a secret you know not secret but the, the the interesting narratives how cool is that so still printing so still hot rotation on 3d prints then yeah <laughs> But you guys still have some some kind of relationship, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, sure. No, sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I'm always interested how the guys are doing and, you know, if they have questions regarding design stuff and I'm I'm happy to help. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Speaking of interests, you seem to be also have a, a quite interest in the quote of Dan Dorman, right? At least in his article, you know, we have unwittingly accepted the paradigm that technology comes first. This requires people to act like machines. That's pretty provoking, isn't it? Do you follow also his narrative that, you know, currently bad technology dominates our life? You know, this is what he I guess pushes a bit out, right? What is a bad technology or is it the the application anyway? Mm. Well, I have to be honest, I'm easily excited about new technology too. <laughs> so, but you know, sometimes I also fall into the trap of technology first. But if you pause for a moment and reflect what technology really does for you, sometimes you realize it doesn't really make your life easier or better, and sometimes it is even making your life worse. For example, when you don't get a credit because you are older than 60, and a good product takes technology, business, and humans into account. Um actually the three aspects you mentioned in my introduction. And if one or two of the three are overrated, the result is not good. 
So sure, humans are hard to deal and work with because of their emotions and, you know, their unpredictability. And machines are easier to predict and therefore easier to handle. And at the moment, everybody wants AI, whether it is useful or not. And this means, yeah, we, we end up with a lot of bad products that actually nobody really needs. And especially with AI, I would say, why do we try to create machines that are as intelligent as humans? You know, maybe there's a different intelligence that is worth exploring and that could more run parallel to us and really have a, you know, kind of ping pong or add value to the lives of humans and then also um, the, the stuff machines are doing. Let's, we've been talking a lot about technology now. Let's get down to it. How do you define a human-centered technology or what is it for you? The MIT defines human-centric AI as the design, development, and deployment of systems, often information systems, right, that learn from and collaborate with humans in a deep, meaningful way. Is this still your definition too or would you change it in any other way? Mm-hmm. So... To me, a better definition would be that human-centric AI is about defining the goals of AI to meet the human needs and to work within the human environments. So it is important to take this into account from the beginning of a project and not only as an afterthought when the data is labeled, you know, and the models are chosen and trained and, you know, you have this ready-made thing running And then you ask the designer to make a nice user interface or, you know, put a bit of explainability onto the black box. So what I don't like so much about the definition of the MIT, you know, that it comes when most of the things are already decided. And I think it is important that, you know, that you define the goals and the needs first and then you run the project from there. And then you have human-centered AI or human-centered technology. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a kind of tough one, right? So if you look in current, uh, you know, realms of AI or let's say machine learning, that you know, it's it's everything is you know we throw a hell lot of of GPUs or compute power uh, onto a given problem uh, associated with a lot of data, right? And mm-hmm. this this and let's figure out the machine learning algorithm that it finds the patterns, uh, you know, in the in the data set, and and therefore we you know dominated by a data centric approach, right? Of uh, approach. AI application or let's say machine learning application. What's quite interesting is also a, a person or an expert I I'm highly admire, Stuart Russell, right? Mm-hmm. Famous for his artificial intelligence modern approach, I guess still the book for teaching and universities. He brought a new book out. It's called Human Compatibility. And he, he, he somehow argues that, you know, the challenges when it comes to the, in this data-driven world of is, you know, that we need to set, a, you know, different target ob- objective function, let's say, right? Human purpose, authority, mm-hmm. well-being as the one aspect. And therefore, he, he proposes, like, we need to move from a data-centric to a human-centric approach, right? 
kind of great to see, you know, such a great mind, Stuart Russell, articulating uh, these kinds of thoughts. What, what are your thoughts on that? Have mm -hmm. you read it? Uh, do you know that? No, I, I have to admit, I don't know the book, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it sounds interesting, so I should um, buy it and, and read it. And I would agree to his statement uh, as far as you put it. Yeah, uh, I personally think that we lack the methods and tools we need for this so far. So at the moment, it is data-centric and we have to move to human-centered because we deal with you know, great complexity when it comes to AI systems and, and systems that are changing over time because they learn. You know, this is nothing we had so far, especially as a designer. You, know, you, you ship a ready-made product normally. This is, you know, and with AI, it's not like software development that we had so far. It's really another level. And the only thing we can do at the moment is we can try new things and see if they work out in the future. At the moment, I think smart, you know, applications, we are the, the target of objection of these machine learning systems. You know, we are dominated by innovation in that and innovation meets growth, right? And growth in, in the current world meets GDP. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somehow, you know, economic growth. And, mm -hmm. and right, isn't that, you know, as long as we tie that innovation is growth and growth needs to be in some economic value, isn't that a deadlock then? Or Do we need a, a different notion of growth? It means not targeted towards, you know, increase of GDP. Yeah, or maybe we need another definition of innovation. <laughs> you know, is is the other question actually. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And actually, I was wondering if we learn something from the current situation with Corona. Yeah, where you know people do less travel, and then we see less air pollution. And my big question is uh, at the moment you know will this this last after we go back to normal whatever normal means um, at that point and yeah absolutely and i mean also with ai you know we have a lot of projects and they um, they cost energy and they cost manpower and you know but in the end is there really a value add that justifies all the the resources put in there And therefore, I think it's really important that, you know, we work together to really define the use at the beginning of those AI projects to really make sure that it is sustainable and it is adding value and not money-wise, you know, but maybe in other means. Absolutely. Um, I see that. I mean, you were talking of innovation now, right? Um, till date, AI is mostly used for imitating what humans are responsible for. So if... There is someone in the organization who is doing a particular job. You teach a model to do this similar, similar task for you. That is one kind of innovation, imitating the human behavior. But the other kind is where you teach a machine to innovate. Is that even a possibility? That, that would be super cool. How do you see that interplay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I know some designers who are really afraid of AI and those that even deny that AI or machines can be creative or therefore, you know, innovative. And But I personally think, you know, this is a great thing if we have machines that can innovate and be creative because the machines could enhance or augment uh, our creative potential. And there are some great examples out there already. For example, you know, AutoDraw from Google, or music composing AI like Aiva.ai or Ampermusic.com. And, you know, designers really use this to, to make great stuff and they still have fun and they still can be creative in their work. And 
even, you know, cut modeling is supported by AI um, from Autodesk. Or think about the little AI helpers from Photoshop. So, you know, I, I think this is a good thing because it really empowers us to, you know, have more time for other things. And I also believe in the resilience of the design professions. You know, we will be able to find other means to add value to the digital era. The, you know, technology always influenced our job. You know, if you think about the internet and therefore the websites and web interfaces. So, um, yeah, I see a bright future actually working together with AI to come up with creative and innovative things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most often we see that as AIs as stealing our jobs, but instead it is enabling us to do other jobs, isn't it? Yeah, but that, you know, incorporates change and, you know, a lot of people don't like change. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> we are famous for change management, aren't we? Right? <laughs> Just kidding. But I, I guess the beauty is that the field, what I, I really find attractive is that the field of you know AI encompasses actually a, a broad variety of different communities stimulating each other, right? Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's the creative industry, which is always tied also towards the technology industry, right? Yeah. Uh, AI and, and generative design or stuff like that is actually not that new, you know? No. Um, I no, think no. especially the arts, you know, explores the capabilities of in all different realms. And that's also with data-driven or machine learning or technology-driven. Mm -hmm. Though, I remember um, that you had some thoughts in the articles actually written down on when, when you visited the Ichikai, I think it was mm -hmm. Stockholm, right? Mm -hmm. The conference, one of the leading AI conferences, I guess, right? Nowadays, still still on blade. And it's like, oh, if I look there, you know, they're all geeks. They're all, you know, <laughs> technology fascinating. <laughs> Though, I think they're missing, you know, where, where's the picture? Where's the implication? Where are the ethics? Where is the cultural challenges? You know, what's the human factor? Where you said, like, you know, that's, that seems to be not missing. Though I would say, you know, yes, uh, I agree, but I think that changed. The, all the notion about trustworthy AI, responsibility, all that ethics discussion on, you know, in different European level, but also on corporate level, right? I think it changed, doesn't it? They're talking about now also on reproducibility, explainability, also geeky stuff like energy footprint, right? Or What's your view? Do, do you see that, you know, over the last three, four years, do you see that that change happening and that the communities are more, more interacting with each other? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say you're absolutely right, Uli. It is changing, but still, I think it's not in, enough yet, yeah? And why is that? And I also wanted to um, add to what you said, you know, a generative design is not new. And, you know, artists and designers have always a close bound to technology. So what is the problem at the moment with AI and machine learning? And I think what we have here is that the technology is very still in expert mode. Yeah, You need a certain level of knowledge to really dig deep into the conversations. And there is a way to go for things like auto ML or, or you know, those kind of things and that you know when it comes for example to prototyping you know designers are really good at prototyping but at the moment we only have the wizard of Oz kind of thing to prototype an ml or ai application and this is you know just not enough and you cannot you know run a whole development cycle with a machine learning algorithm and then you know and then you realize oh this is actually not answering any need this is you know this is really a, a tough challenge and even if we have auto ml we will face new challenges like, you know, the black boxes and that kind of thing. And then we have another level um, 
that we have to take care of. So I think we have to keep on creating awareness. We had this already with, you know, air quality and those kind of things and systems that can be understood by a greater number of people from diverse backgrounds. And I think that, yes, you are right. There's, you know, the conversations is starting, but we are not there yet. We shouldn't stop here. We should keep on going towards this goal. mentioning about understanding different concepts <laughs> now what i'm trying to understand is what is human-centered design methods because i'm pretty newbie for that mm-hmm. and what is the role of design methods especially in this age of ai right with all the hype of ai and in your eyes what what do you think are the most useful design principles for ai Mm-hmm. So I think a great starting point for this discussion is, for example, the Google AI Playbook. And also Microsoft created some guidelines for human AI interaction. You can find those online. And this is a lot about, you know, feedback and control. So explainability and also, you know, when I'm not happy with the result of the algorithm, I want to give feedback. You know, otherwise, how can the system learn? It's a lot about, you know, explainability and trust in those systems and the importance of defining a starting point and also define, you know, when you are successful. Um, That is also very important. It's a lot about how you handle errors and failure. And I think this is really a great starting point, but it's only a starting point. And I think it's also sometimes very um, detached from context awareness So, you know, what does feedback and control specifically mean for my project, you know, in my case? And this we are not answering yet. Therefore, I think you need tools you can use, like, for example, what you did for the the business model canvas. Yeah, you can use this really to come up with a business model and a business idea. But for AI development, we still we miss those tools and we really have to create them. This is also, you know, a bit about why I do this research and why I do my my PhD in that topic, because, you know, we have some tools there and you can use them to a certain extent. And then, you know, AI and those ecosystems, they need a bit more than we have at hand at the moment because of the complexity, because you don't ship um, ready products and because, you know, it is very data driven and not so much human driven. Mm -hmm. How does the, these principles or these bit of the guideline or playbook, right, um, mm-hmm. that you are researching on, how does it resonate to current applications and use cases? Can you share some mm-hmm. some to the, the external audience, mm-hmm. you know, what you what you stoked about? Yeah. So, for example, one big topic within digital industries is um, predictive demand planning for our production sites, right? So Siemens is really good with long-term planning, but, you know, these days we realize that, you know, five-year plans do not fit the reality anymore. So those guys really struggle with, you know, planning the right demand for the factories. And you cannot, you know, easily split one production line with the other within a couple of minutes or hours. We are talking about days here. So, and then, you know, what's really interesting and what is the first thing is, you know, the expectation management with all the stakeholders involved, because, you know, the planners, the actual planners, they are afraid of losing their job, you know, and then you have to tell them, hey, no, this is not replacing your job. 
this is just you have to change your job or we change your job profile. And then you have the management that really thinks like, oh, of course we can get rid of the planners. Amazing. Yeah, I will do everything by magic out of the box. So this is always a very important step, the stakeholder and expectation management. And then also what I realized in my research that, you know, you have to figure out, and I think, you know, only you, you guys do a really good job with the AI lab here, you know, what kind of knowledge about AI and the possibilities do I have in my team or in, in the team I, I work with and really make sure that you are kind of the same page, that you know, you know, what are error metrics, you know, to when we come back to defining your success yeah, you, it's not easily understand by everybody what error metrics mean yeah, or the different error metrics. So what else did we realize? Yeah, a lot of this, what is very crucial is to work really, I, I hate the word too, but agile and, and iterative work. Yeah, it's really hard to say like, okay, now we have one year time for this project and we will be here exactly in one year. This is not going to happen. So really work in short cycles, you know, and then in our case, start with a small amount of products. I think in the factories, we have sometimes 20,000 products, yeah? And I shouldn't start a demand planning, a predictive demand planning with the whole amount of products. I should start with maybe 20 to 30 smart samples that have, you know, different criteria where I can train the models on and where I can easily have a first, you know, proof of concept and see how the stuff is working. So it's, yeah, a lot in the flow or in the flux, I, I would say that, you know, we try a lot out and then we see what works and what doesn't work. And then finally, if you think you can easily scale this to another production side, then you realize, oh, you know, their data looks completely different. So it's really hard to just take the same models and the same things out of the box and just put this different data in there and you will have the same results. It's a bit like, you know, starting over again, but at least you are familiar with the process and you are familiar with the steps you have to go through even when you try to scale this to another production site. Absolutely. Jenny, you mentioned about predictive demand planning. Mm -hmm. For someone who's not so familiar with AI, people might think, oh, that's a buzzword. I mean, when I have to think of AI, probably the first thing that comes to my mind is autonomous driving or predictive learning, mm -hmm. predictive maintenance. These are the buzzwords that uh, immediately pops up. In your eyes, what do you think is the AI's biggest breakthrough in recent years? And how will that affect your sector over the next five years? Mm -hmm. So, actually, I think that for me, the biggest breakthrough is a bit different than you know how AI will affect the sector I, I work in but for me I'm really impressed with deep fake <laughs> for me this is really <laughs> impressive technology wise but you know on the other hand it's super scary for society and for me this is so typical for humans and you know the pair of humans and technology and this is not only you know AI relevant we have this we had this with the atom bomb and you know other inventions in the past that because we can do it we do things and then they are super amazing and you are impressed but then you have also this human trait so to say to really use this for the bad yeah so you always have this good and bad um things and i think this is will always be a challenge we have to take care of and, and therefore diversity is very important. But what I really hope what will affect the sector, so we, we are talking within Siemens about industrial AI 
And I really hope that we gain a bit of speed um, when it comes to AI applications in, in, the, in, in the industry, because right now we are very cautious. We have so much data. This is really amazing. And I think there's so much potential in this data we can really use to have great AI applications, especially with the development we see in the B2C sector there. So I really hope that we, you know, understand that AI in industry is not only about optimization, but also about, you know, customization and that when that we can deliver, you know, personalized AI applications to our customers. All right. Finally, after all your inputs on the technology and your field of expertise, for all the geeks out there, can you recommend any books or online edu courses for people getting involved or starting in the area of industrial driven machine learning? Mm -hmm. Maybe I I'm, I'm, would say like it's not so much to focus on the industrial driven machine learning, but on, you know, machine learning in general. So what I really liked was a book from Patrick Hebron, uh, O'Reilly, I think is the publisher, Machine Learning for Designers. So that one is really helpful. And then I also like the book of why from Judea Pearl that is about, you know, what that the why actually is lacking in statistics and what that means for AI and all the data-driven applications. And um, another book, uh, and, and I think it's unfortunately only in German, but it's brand new from Richard David Precht, KI und der Sinn des Lebens. I started reading that one. Um, that, that's really nice because, you know, he's um, also talking about the implications for greater society and, and for the human future, actually. And a great resource, actually, for learning is machine learning for artists. That's a site, if you, you know, if you Google this, it's on GitHub, where you have a lot of yeah, artistic and design-driven projects with AI. And there's all, you know, there's all the, the material and all the models are in there. And you can pretty much swap your data in there and try yourself. And then also from Ms. Fiebring, she, she invented the Vecinator. That is also a really nice tool to play around. Yeah, so these are resources that I, you know, would recommend for people who are interested to, yeah, get, get started. I think that's very useful for all the folks who are interested in learning machine learning and uh, even the design aspects of it. Yeah. Right? And... We are almost at the very end of our session, Jenny. But before we close the session, we want to play a small game with you, right? If Uli asks me or starts with the sentence, Jennifer is, I would say a genius. So I would give you the starting part and then you would complete the sentence for me. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to, ready to play ready. the game? <laughs> ready. <laughs> All right. Siemens is. A big corporation with a strong heritage and a lot of great people working towards its transformation. <laughs> <laughs> Business to society is? Um, too often money-focused and short-term goal-driven. Mm -hmm. And innovation is? Oh, that's a good one because we had that. I think it's often overrated and misunderstood because it gives a lot of different concepts uh, for innovation. That's a lovely answer, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite quote is? There's only one constant, and that is change. Uh-huh. And my personal superpower is? Um, yeah, I think my laughter, my loud laughter. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> and uh, also my curiosity. 
Oh, yeah. Awesome. Jenny, thanks so much for, in first place, being you and spending this time with us. <laughs> right? Uh, it was a pleasure and adventure at the same time. And folks <laughs> out there, stay tuned. There is so much to come. Stay bold, committed, and open-minded. And we hear us at the next Siemens Ayala podcast. Cheers. Thank you.